Once you start noticing it, pretty much every single TV drama, Netflix drama, or whatever, or film that deals in dark subject matter looks a bit like Seven. And it wasn't the case before Seven came along. They didn't look like this. This is episode 84. Hello, film fans. In the studio today, we have Boyd. Hello. Josh. Hey. And as always, Kobe. All right. And we are reviewing the David Fincher film, Seven. And if you want to hear more about us or read more about us online, come to our website, flitswatcher.tv, visit us and join in the banter with us on Twitter at flitswatcherpod and head over to iTunes, subscribe to us, review us and share with your friends. There will be spoilers and bad language. You have been warned. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. We have today Boyd and Josh. If you would like to tell our listeners about the podcasts that you do and do together, please. Sure. Uh, the podcast we do together, which is the only podcast I do, is Footballistically <laughs> Arsenal, which is a weekly look at what is going on at Arsenal Football Club. So uh, fans of North London's finest team will enjoy it. Um, and some general football fans occasionally probably listen, but it's mainly Arsenal fans. So you can find us at Arsenal Podcast on Twitter or footballisticallyarsenal.net. And who do you you have? Do you have players and stuff that come on you on the podcast? Or? We have a mix. We have some journalists who follow Arsenal, mm-hmm. fans who um, have come from interesting backgrounds. I would say on the whole, people that are involved in um, journalism or PR or other associated fans, ex-players, sometimes Metropolitan media elite. Basically, <laughs> I'll explain. There is something called club level at Arsenal, uh, which is basically not standard seating, which is where Boyd sits. I sit in the standard seating. But Boyd described this podcast eight years ago when he started it as the club level podcast. Mm. So it is unashamedly the sort of middle class Arsenal podcast. Fair yeah, that's fair enough, yeah. And who yeah. are you? I am Boyd Hilton. I uh, also, <laughs> I'm still doing the Footballistic National Podcast with Josh. Um, I also um, host Basic Bingers, which is a weekly pop culture kind of chat and review show. And I am on the Pilot TV Podcast, which is a weekly high-end TV review <laughs> and recommendation curation. How about that? I'm going to use that word. Yeah, I like it. Uh, podcast. And every fortnight, I do the GQ Strike podcast, which is a general football chat with my great friend Elga Johnson, and we kind of do that together. Um, a lot, you've been talking a lot on Pilot TV about Doctor Who, <laughs> yeah. the, the new Doctor. Uh, I missed, I missed completely Peter Capaldi. I don't know Did why, you? I just, I think I was you just, just weren't I, interested. I was interested. too old for you. <laughs> That's it. I was interested, but then I just, I think I, I think I dipped out on Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi right. didn't revive me. Right. Um, but I do want to, come back and mm. I've not seen any, any oh you've got to come back yeah yeah, yeah it's my, it, I mean I love I loved, I've always I mean I love all Doctor Who as you can tell from this if you listen to that podcast um, but it was definitely there was definitely a sense that the um, last few years have been very much you know there have been a lot of like dense storytelling that refers to you know the whole history of Doctor Who mm. in a brilliant way I think but now it does feel like you, you could watch it fresh and you know you don't have to have been a, been a Whovian all the way through. To, yeah, all the way through. And Jodie Whittaker's just brilliant. Yeah. That's my problem. Is I feel that like I need to watch them all again. It, I was happy to watch... You don't need to, honestly. Yeah, I'll, no. I'll pick back up again. Yeah. Um, right. Boyd, you were the one that chose the film for today, which yes. is Seven. Seven. And, and can we just say that at this point, if you haven't seen Seven before uh, and you have got any interest in seeing it, then 
stop listening now because we are going to do spoilers and if you kind of know what happens then it, yeah just stop yeah. listening if you haven't stop seen it if you haven't seen it come and, back and come back yeah. after yeah because i'm definitely going to talk about the ending i mean because the ending is such it's one of the most extraordinary endings in cinema history i think and it has to be discussed there's no point in, the, the, no. part of the reason i chose it is so that we can discuss the ending because sure. it came out uh, more than 20 years ago <laughs> so i think by now you know it's not like there's got to be a limitation what's the statute of limitation of spoilers people still get annoyed if you but quite rightly warn them so partly that's why i picked it yeah but to do with the ending shall i just want to explain yeah. in my two minutes two minutes two synopsis minutes. please two minutes synopsis retiring <laughs> police detective william somerset played by the great morgan freeman um, is tackling what he thinks is going to be his last case and he's been lumbered with a newbie play called David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, young Brad Pitt. And together they're investigating um, some particularly grisly murders. And it turns out that the they are um, all being done by a serial killer who is following um, the seven deadly sins. So all of these murders are being kind of staged, if you like, to mm. reflect upon the seven deadly sins. And it's partly, um, the story is them um, working this out, working out what the link is between all of these different horrendous, disgusting murders that kind of almost mount in levels of disgustingness and obscenity. Um, and it's partly looking at, in the end, that it's not really about, it's not really a kind of done it because, of course, the fascinating situation is that the actual killer, the John Doe figure, who, you know, is given that random name, played by a certain Kevin Spacey, yeah just reveals himself as being the killer. So they didn't even do much detective work to find him in the end. He just reveals himself. And there's also the very important fact that um, the young Detective Mills' wife, Tracy, is played by the great Gwyneth Paltrow. And in the end, she becomes embroiled in the story in the most extraordinary manner in the ending to which I've already referred. And that is <laughs> seven. And that's two minutes. <sighs> I wasn't tiring myself. It's all good. It's Honest. all good. Um, guys, let's do a quick sweep of the table. How many times have we seen this? It's 25 years, 20 years old. 1995 it came out? Yeah. So two, tw 23 years ago. Um, I, this is my third or fourth time watching it, I think. Oh, Helen? crikey. I must be 10 plus. Now, so part of the reason why I've chosen it is I watch it regularly. There are certain films that I watch like yeah. almost every six months. Yeah. And this is one of them. So I think I've probably seen it at least 20 times. Well... <laughs> Once. Um, and I couldn't help <laughs> notice. Um, yeah. So you hadn't seen it until I, had, I forced I you to watch it. I had not seen it. But I noticed that, the, did you see this? The, the producer who's Arnold Coppelson mm. died, died two weeks ago. No. Oh, just, no. just died. So it's interesting that you chose it right this time. Uh, so it was my first time. I'd never seen it. And uh, I'm delighted you chose it, Boyd. It was, you know, it was a great watch, unsurprisingly. Um, and amazing, you know, just, you know, huge names in the film industry. You know, all, all in that film, a, a 22, 23 year old Gwyneth mm. Paltrow, Brad yeah. Pitt in Has his early 30s. Yeah, I, ju I just checked. She was um, she was born in 1972, so she'd have been 23. Yeah. Oh, shit. I mean, tell us more about your experience because I. Well, I. So I saw it when it came out in the cinema. Mm -hmm. um, I remember it very clearly and being absolutely um, bowled over by it. Um, and part of the reason why I've seen it every 20 times at least, probably, I'm sure it's more than that. Um, is because it is so it's, it would be in my top 10 films of all time. I'm putting it out on the putting my cards on the table sure. now, and it's probably it's one of the most recent films on my 20 favorite films of all time. You know, I'm not, I'm you know, I know you did Pulp Fiction on this show, but mm. I probably wouldn't have Pulp Fiction. So, what not, yeah, I'm not one of those like you know, oh, it's all films from the 90s, you know, they're in your top favorite films of all time, you know, but I've this, got a range, I've got some 80s. In there. I'm, yeah, I'm not slagging off, <laughs> by the way, I'm not slagging off anyone who picks Pulp Fiction, that's fine, but for me, this is a timeless 
piece of classic filmmaking. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to host a BAFTA tribute to David Fincher, the director, in which I interviewed him on stage for an hour and a half about his whole career. Mm. And when I was asked to do it, it was literally one of the greatest moments of my life because I, I like all his films. I don't. There's not one film he's done which I don't like. But this is definitely my favourite and this is, you know, for me, his masterpiece. And I think, and so when I interviewed him on stage, um, just talking to him about it, like, it was like, I could barely control my excitement. So I had to kind of calm down. And he was very sweet, you know, he was like, clearly like, and he was, and it's the whole story of it, um, scripted by a guy called Andrew Kevin Walker. And, and, the, and so the, we have to talk about the end. It's beautifully filmed. Cinematography by Darius Konji is mm. incredible. It has influenced, I think, the whole genre of crime thriller, not just not serial just killer, not just, but in every way, particularly visually, this whole greeny, browny, grimy it's, look of it. I was watching it now and I was like, that's all over Breaking Bad. Right. Of course, exactly. The bleach bypass, I think they call it. The bl- Thank you. And, right. the, and, the, and the camera angles and things yeah. like that. That's like... The whole way it's filmed, exactly. It visually, you know, and, and you look at every, and I, pretty much, I guarantee, once you, once you start noticing it, pretty much every single... TV drama, Netflix drama, or whatever, or f- and film that deals in dark subject matter looks a bit like Seven. And it wasn't the case before Seven came along. They didn't look like this. It's like it's established this fascinating... And just the way, like, the way it uses focus, it kind of edges of the screen sometimes are out of focus. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what, the what, griminess. what happened before then. Yeah, well, dude, people, films just looked kind of normal colours, basically. Sure. They weren't, there's a kind of drained quality to the colour. Beautiful, in a beautiful sense. And the kind of, and I'm, and I'm also talking about the kind of imagery of the rain. It's raining all the time. It rains all the time now in crime dramas. It didn't rain all the time before Seven. Um, all of that stuff, it all comes from this conception of this this film, I think. I, I know this was shot in LA, but why, where is it actually set? Is it not is it a nondescript It's in a place? nameless city. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, name, kind, yeah. Yeah. it's based yeah. on um, New York. Yeah, I mean, it feels like New York. York. Yeah. It feels a bit like Philadelphia, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's never, it's, it isn't named. So it's like, a, you know, it's stand, the whole thing is standing in for the kind of sickness of modern society, <laughs> you know, particularly when you meet the killer, Paper Kevin Spacey. And, and the one thing, I mean, I could go on, I, clearly, as you can tell already, I can go on about it for weeks on end, but, you know, I don't want to bore Josh particularly because this is me talking about Arsenal like this every week. Um, but the end, this ending, so the whole, I think the whole film is, is Let's go to the is end. Extraordinary. Let's go to the end. But the fascinating thing about the ending is the famous, so the famous ending with the, with the thing in the, head in the box, Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in the box. This is the climax of the film. And uh, which, which then leads Brad Pitt to kill the killer, played by Kevin Spacey, what he, the killer wants him to do. Wants, yeah. That's his final act. And that's the seventh sin. That's the rap. seventh sin. Yeah. Fame, brilliantly, um, the, the original producers and, and financiers of the film rejected that ending by, this, by Andrew Kevin Walker. They couldn't, they thought viewers cannot deal with the, Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. So they, they ditched that ending officially. He, they'd, you know, rejigged it so that it was actually going to be the two detectives and it raced against time to find um, her who had been, a, what, you know, kidnapped or whatever, or she was in some situation yeah. held captive by um, the killer. But they accidentally sent David Fincher the wrong script. They sent him the original script by accident. So he saw, he read, and he's like, I'm, this is, I'm doing this film. He's almost decided to do it because of that extraordinary that ending. ending. And he wanted, his original conception was, as soon as um, the head in the box, as soon as Brad Pitt finds out that it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head in his box, he then shoots a in space and then it goes black immediately and there's nothing else. Whereas in the final version of the film, there's a coda where um, you kind of, you know, where... Um, uh, the, the other detective kind of talks about, you know, kind of as a philosophical 
few lines about the state of the world and the universe to give it a little bit of optimism. A bit of a Hemingway. Yeah, right. I think, yes. Um, so imagine, you know, the, the, uh, in, if, imagine if the whole bleakness had just literally stopped their fate of black and that's it. Boom. That would have been even more incredible. But it's still pretty incredible. Um, first time watching, Josh, what were your... What do you know about it beforehand? Did you know about the head in the box or the ending? So I'll come clean. Because there were some tweets asking for reviews. Oh, so oh yeah. There, were, there was a couple of things that came into my notifications which referred to, you know, it's, mm. it's obviously her head in the box. So I, I sort of saw it coming, mm. uh, which I might not have otherwise <laughs> We need, to, we need done. to think about this uh, for next time. <laughs> it's all right. You can edit this out. Um <laughs> And uh, so I sort of knew it, it was coming, but still there was the horror and, and it's the van and it's it's speeding and you're not quite sure, is has he come to sort of, you know, with some breaking news or to save it? You're not sure what the van's doing and that the guy in the van is actually completely innocent, that he's he's come with this this head. I mean, it's, it's incredibly clever. I mean, the whole film has that lovely kind of uh, mix between uh, the two detectives, Somerset and Mills, of mm-hmm. experience and youth, and they sort of there's that you know tension between them at the beginning, but gradually by the end of the film, there's sort of that unity of, of working together for the for the greater good. Um, and the old wise head trying to eventually persuade the the younger sort of you know clearly you know wrapped up in the situation, um, younger detective of you know, to, to, to take a different path and not let the film conclude as you, yeah. you realise it, 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 it kind of will, um, I, I think. I think that's sort of fair. But, um, it, you know, an absolute classic. Loved it. Um, clever. Um, you know, some ama- amazing performances, you so know, particularly where, spacey. Where do you fall on crime dramas? Do you watch many of them generally or...? Not huge. Um, I wouldn't say huge. I don't think you'd have... You know, I, I wonder, I was saying when I was thinking just when I was watching it, when would I have otherwise sat and watched this had we not been in this environment, had Boyd not suggested, I don't know if I'd have got round to it. I might never have. So um, I'm glad I did. But yeah, I wouldn't, this isn't my typical. Fair. Because I was thinking again, just when you're saying now, I'm looking at some of the pictures we have on the screen. Um, I mean, True Detective has got oh, yeah. a lot from yeah. a lot from this. Oh, a huge amount. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Stunning. Um, Helen, what, is it is it this or is it Fight Club for you in, in, the, in terms of Fincher? I mean, Fight Club is like more than a five for me. Um, <laughs> out, of, but, out of five? Yeah. You know, Fight, Fight Club is the one for me. But this, I remember I'd never seen anything like this. Mm. Um, Did you see it at the cinema yourself? I didn't know because at the time where I was living, was there wasn't actually a cinema. We didn't have a cinema for about a year Ooh. and a year or so. Um, <laughs> so I unfortunately missed, Islands. missed that. But I mean, it's it's brilliant and... It's really dark and, you know, at the time Kevin Spacey had just made The Usual Suspects. So mm-hmm. he, these two came out at the same time and kind of the way they didn't market him mm. was brilliant. Uncredited, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, the opening credits, I mean, the opening credits, is, yeah. you know, a, a brilliant um, Nine Inch Nails and just the editing, it just sets the mood for the whole film. Was this Completely. where he started working with Trent, Trent Reznor? Yes, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, and they the clo- if you notice the closing credits go up, go the wrong way. Yeah, they and don't go. They don't. You know, they don't go down. They go up. The whole thing. Yeah, everything. I mean, all, of every, those every, all those little touches mm. make it. And um, you know, there's some brilliant lines in it. Like this isn't going to have a happy ending. Um, and I was doing a little bit of reading. So apparently, Sylvester Stallone turned down the role that Brad Pitt took. And potentially it could have been El Pacino in the Morgan Freeman role, yeah, yeah. which shows you just how 
sort of pivotal the casting of this because obviously Brad Pitt was just trying to sort of make himself be taken a bit more seriously. So where, let's talk about these actors at the moment. Where were they in their ascendancy or not? Start with, start with Brad Pitt. He, was this post Thelma? Yeah, so it was post that. I think it was post um, seven years in Tibet kind of time. He was a pretty so, big star by then, I would yeah, say. Yeah, um, he was definitely like a young... Post... Was a Quentin Tarantino scripted one, a true oh, romance. Post yes. true romance, yeah. but before Fight Club, obviously sure. for mm. their relationship. So he was just kind of trying not to be the romantic lead a little bit. Yeah, um, um, Spacey. That's Siri. <laughs> Thanks, Siri, for your input on that one. So Kevin Spacey had basically the Usual Suspects had just come out. Yeah, pretty much. So he was upon mega stardom really with that. I think he had. Had he been in the title card, yeah, everyone would be like, everyone yeah, be like it's going to be, of course, yeah, it's yeah. going to be, the, it's yeah. going to be him again. Yeah. Um, so this is post see no evil, hear no evil, um, which is a favorite Kevin Spacey film of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one thing I, I wanted to say because obviously, like, there, you know, the crimes in it are horrific, but it's not violent because most of the violence happens off screen. Yeah, it's not violent, but it's grim. Yeah, it's oh, grim, it's really but grim, it's yeah. not violent. Yeah. You don't and, see it, no. no, and you don't see the head in the box, which is brilliant in that. If you saw the head in the box, then it would mm. instantly lose its value because you've just got everyone's reaction and the realization, which is much what? worse mm. than any, you know. What CGI rating was this when it's oh, when it's first came out? Eighteen. Was it eighteen? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's. Clearly. I mean, you can't show people being murdered in that way without being. Well, I think nowadays that might it might be a fifteen. I think it would be a fifteen. I, really? I, yeah, yeah, because because you, because it's all implied. Because yeah. well, it is all mm. you don't see. You don't. You, you, there is very little actual violence. It's all happened. Mm. They're all investigated. And the other thing about it is, is that I mean, not. I think I think I'm, I'm now when you check, it might have been a fifteen. I don't know, if, but maybe the. Um, British well, film sets were in it. They have different certificates for home video, of course, and theatrical release sure. sometimes. But um, that was going to say about the. Um, the lack of violence in the film, but even the crimes, even the murders are not, they're, they're mostly men, which is quite rare in the world of crime, fi crime fiction because a lot of crime mm. crime thrillers revolve around the slaughter of women and the stalking of women and that's become a kind of, you know, an issue, yeah. quite rightly. Um, but this, you know, doesn't doesn't go along with that. It, it, it kind of, it, it's, it, you know, the victim, the, the insanity, the psychopathy of Kevin Spacey's character is so um, intriguing and and kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just it's 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 just not your standard, you know, serial killer. Um, and it, and yet now from now after this, it did become very much kind of. So it feel a lot of the things that happen in this film maybe feel to, to I think to new viewers might feel a little bit cliche. Sure, yeah. Because you've seen the but you only because they all came after this as I keep going about how it's. <laughs> I feel I genuinely feel Seven is one of the most influential films of all time because so much, so many films have, have copied it and been so I mean, re-watching again, there's just, there is so many things in there. Um, where was Morgan Freeman and uh, Gwyneth? Was, was this Gwyneth's first role? Or? No, she'd done a few. She'd done like maybe Great Expectations yeah, um, yeah. before then. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, and Morgan Freeman had been in quite, I mean, he was, you know, he's, he'd, he'd, he'd been in a lot of... Post Shawshank or before. Um, research. Uh, it's post, post but yeah. he yeah. still he wasn't quite the mega star that no. he became after yeah. it. He and was he, just kind of like one of those, you know, oh yeah, Morgan Freeman. This was like a major yeah. like role for him. Well, I think he's still. I, I the other thing is is the influence he's had on his career because I still think he, the, the Morgan Freeman persona 
you know, all the all those voiceovers he does, that incredible voice yeah. that, yeah. that, 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 uh, that kind of... March of the Penguins. <laughs> exactly. Steeped in dignity. is yeah. like exudes dignity. The whole character from start to finish in this, it's all about he is, the, you know, he's, he's the kind of principled, unbelievably, you know, moral um, figure of moral authority. And that's all in his voice. And I mean, you can't imagine. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting about the casting because I did know that about Al Pacino. But thank God, I mean, I love Al Pacino, but I don't well, feel anyone. This. Yeah. this is like you know, I do feel like the film has influenced Morgan Freeman's personality. In that, you know, he's become kind of he's almost become like this character now. I mean, there's some of the shots in this and some of the scenes in this, um, just the more simple ones, like in the library. He's, yeah, he's there getting them. I've never seen someone getting books from a library so right. well shot and so Absolutely. well and then they put the um, well, the, the, the security guards are playing poker and they put the classical music on and yeah. that just completely lovely sets the whole mm. sets the whole thing off you've got the green lamps you've got Morgan Freeman just spotlits and all this kind of music and that's just ties in with the with the horror that's going around the kind of psychological horror because yeah. it's not like that explicit it's just it all comes together to be one. It is. This is a, this is a true masterpiece, really. There's no. Oh, every single shot, I think, is yeah. perfect. Yeah, and and it also it doesn't kind of um, like every scene. I think works narratively. It's either advancing the story or mm. telling us more about the character. So that even you know, there's a great scene where we go where Morgan Freeman goes and has dinner at Rapid and and, and Gwyneth Paltrow's flat, which is being uh, which is near a rail under the train the train runs under it so they constantly have this rumbling of the train that is so perfectly judged that scene because mm. it feels completely believable you Gwyneth Paltrow a tiny very small role but key because she ends up with her head in the box uh, but she, you like her immediately she's incredibly likeable All, it's so finely judged you know every single scene kind of fits perfectly and every shot is is beautiful and I'm thinking there's one shot that I always remember, which is, um, I'll stop going on about it in a minute, but there's one shot where, quite early on, where um, it's raining as it will practically is throughout the film, and they're just going in a cop car. Mm. And I think it's when Brad Pitt's talking about how he shot someone once. And there's a, like an incredible lighting effect that happens. It's beautiful, like, almost like a little kind of rainbow thing happens, and there's like a screen flare with a light, and it's like a stunning little yeah. moment. Just bits like that. It's, like, it's a genre of film that is directed like is directing the most important you know, kind of story that's ever been told. That's what I love about it. Well, Darius Conji, he's, um, I can think of Delicatessen off the top of my head. Yeah, but, but that was his big, yeah. You know, that was his big film that, that, that he got this job from doing Delicatessen. Yeah. Um, it's just a stunning looking film. Yeah. Before, I want to ask everyone what their, for them was the worst of the sins. Um, uh, but for, for Fincher, this he came after Alien 3. Of, of, yeah, of so his he basically said happy. he was never going to make a film again. Yeah. And it was this script that, Kind pulled of, him back out. Yeah. And that would have been a massive loss for... For, for cinema, yeah, yeah. For me personally as well. So uh. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, you said, um, Boyd, you love all his films. Yes. Is this your favourite of his films? This is my favourite of his yeah. films. I mean, I, it's, you should be mentioning Fight Club. So my, my I, I, I absolutely love Fight Club. But what I'd say is, I think the reason why I, I put this above Fight Club, I think Fight Club is slightly dated, a little bit dated, because it does touch upon... You know, there's all the little the IKEA references and all that stuff. Right. This is timeless. It this, is. you know, so there's a reason why the city is not named. There's a reason why there's no references to anything at all. In fact, at some points, it feels you know, there's no like mobile phones. It, it feels almost like when in the end, when they're going to that like almost desert desert place somehow from the city, you know, with the whirring um, wind turbines and all that, it just feels like a comp- just a kind of place frozen in time. That's what I love about it. You know, it could have been made at any point. The story could be taking place almost at any point. And I love yeah. that about it. And I feel that's what elevates it 
to classic status above, even above other David Fincher films that I love, like Fight Club. I mean, we've had uh, Social Network's been chosen in, in the pod. Brilliant film, yeah. Um, I'm still disappointed there's no further Girl the Dragon Tattoo films from him. Mm. Yeah, I missed opportunity I, there. I would have liked to round it out the trilogy. And... Yeah, I did ask him, but I think he felt that he'd done all he could do with that those characters in that and that that character particularly yeah. and that kind of. I mean, he, he's mm-hmm. incredible. He's done a lot of serial killing films. Sure, for, for someone you know, he really. But he's like he's he, he should do with some comedy really lighting yeah, up a little bit. Yeah, I think. That, but there is comedy. If you see Gone Girl, mm. which is a, probably my second favourite, actually. Okay, I absolutely that love freaked Gone me Girl. out. I was watching that with my wife in the it's cinema. Good, that. Gone Girl is. Another, it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect telling you that story. But if you watch, what was I saying? But I was comparing it to um, that that he, um, the way he tells that story um, is, is is not a serial killer, but it almost feels like it's in that genre. And that's another. And, and he, so even these films that aren't serial killer films are still dealing with crime and killing and murder and, and psychopathy um, to an incredible extent. But I think it's brilliant the what that he kind of he touches. He managed to deal with the same kind of subject matter. Yeah. Um, and, and yet make completely different, brilliant films. And the same, some people think his masterpiece is, um, you know, the true life, uh, Zodiac. Okay, yeah. The other, you know, that's that's one is, that is great. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. A lot of people think that's his greatest film. You know, but it's it fantastic. It does retread a lot of the things that he paved the way for yeah, in Seven. Absolutely. I was yeah. going to say, I think sort of the bottom of the list for me is probably the curious case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, yeah. That's yeah, that's my least favourite, yeah. Well, you know what? My under- the game is brilliant. I love yeah, the game, which the is perhaps great. a bit underrated. Um, um, I mean, I even like Alien 3. Yeah, I quite like Alien 3. I can't 3. remember seeing it apart he, from... He, like, he likes Alien 3 now more, I think, than the, he did at the time. It was the I think experience, he's dealt wasn't with it? it? Yeah, but, it was yeah. the experience that was terrible, yeah. Because he's vi- come from a background of making uh, music videos, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he directed um, Madonna, loads yeah. of brilliant, brilliant videos. Madonna, yeah. one of my best videos of all time, George Michael's um, classic one with all the supermodels. He directed that one. I can't remember. Um, Freedom. Freedom, okay, Freedom yeah. 90. Freedom 90. Yeah. Absolute classic, yeah. <laughs> sorry, uh, Josh, sorry droning sorry. on so Brown. Josh there are seven deadly sins gluttony greed sloth envy wrath pride and lust which of these depictions was the most striking to well, you well the one that sticks in the mind I think is with the hugely uh, obese man who <laughs> is uh, the start. yeah the, the gluttony because you've got all their is it all the tomato cans? Tomato yeah. soup? I mean, is it clearly an amount, not for personal use, you know, to the mo- to the modern, to the average man? Um, I guess just the, f- you know, seeing physically that that sort of, you know, sticks, sticks the memory, sort of sets the tone off on on where where the film's going. It just, yeah, I mean, it's an unusual way to go. Yeah, um, you know. It's, Cutting someone up, or you know, it's a bit more mainstream. Some of the ones that, that mainstream, uh, steady. <laughs> well, I don't know about mainstream, but like, I don't know. Ultimately, I know that the last one with you know, it's with a blade. I mean, it's horrific the nature of it, but there's but being, yeah, there's you know, you, you would, I think you would say if you go top 10 ways to, to kill someone, you you take a while before you go force feeding them. Yeah, but it's a bl- it's a it's a strap on. Yeah, mm, I agree. I mean, that was my second device, it's unusual. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Boyd, what was your... Um, well, I think the scene where they discover the guy that's been strapped to the bed for a year... What was that? Was that Rath? Sloth. Sloth, sloth, sorry. Sloth, it's actually yeah. a sloth. Yeah, Rath um, is... Uh, 
Brad Pitt's killing him at the end. Yeah, and you, th- you kind of they, that's very clever because you think they've discovered him dead, this corpse, yeah. this emaciated, horrendous skeletal corpse, and is actually still alive. So what was that like in the cinema? Because that was um, that a jump scare, brilliant jump yeah. scare, you yeah. know, and, and a jump scare that almost like the perfect jump scare because it actually makes sense. Yeah, and it, it, it you know, story wise, it actually you're, the characters in it are jumping because it's terrifying, <laughs> and it's a shock, and it's a brilliantly done, and that gets me every time I've seen it, even after twenty viewings. For yourself, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a competition between sloth and and lust. Um, I think the the sloth one is great because obviously you do think he's he's going to be dead and mm. he's not, and the fact that he's alive is more terrifying than the fact that he's dead yeah. to be in that mm. state. And then lust because you only see the Polaroid for the briefest of seconds, and yeah. all that violence has happened off screen, yeah. and you're left with I think it's Leland Orson's confession. Yeah, to kind of build that, and it is just really horrific. I mean, none of these deaths are pleasant deaths. <laughs> no, no, so no. I mean, this is like the worst, the worst. And then, you know, it's so clever that the last two are committed and there the and then in in the one scene because you kind of think, you know, there's going to be one every day, and you're like waiting for the the other two. You're like, well, I don't. Where are, the, are we going to have two bodies? How's it going to work? It's like no, Brad Pitt becomes one of them, and well, it's just so clever which if you i guess if you're you haven't seen it and you're like well that's not really that clever but you know at the time it was amazing i think that's probably why i would still perhaps push this towards an 18 because that psychological aspect must oh, yeah. be super high in there yeah even though like i say it's graphic but not uh super gory mm. the the sloth scene was is still the one for me that's like Holy yeah, shit. you're right. Yeah. It's uh, uh, Dr. Cox, what, John C. McGinley? John, is yeah. the, oh, yeah. Is the he's SWAT the, team leader. Yeah. yeah. Who um, gets kind of like sloth cough in his face. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, guys, we head to the scores. Absolutely. So we will start with you, Boyd, because you picked the film, and we'll start off with the recommendability score, please. And uh, these are all out of five. It's obviously got to be five. <laughs> <laughs> no further comments. I'm, so. Well, I just feel that. <laughs> I, do you know what? I've genuinely, I mean, I've been in the twenty-something, nearly twenty-five years since it came out, I've recommended it to every person I've ever met who hasn't seen it mm. and no one's did you not no did you know that Josh hadn't said, seen it until I he... didn't know I, I kind of well, I didn't talk to Josh about films so we don't really yeah so I, I had no idea but you know I thought and maybe he hadn't seen it I thought it's a possibility he hadn't seen it because I hadn't heard he's him got that kind of face he's got that kind of face yeah so innocent yeah exactly <laughs> so um, never seen an 18 never mind this yeah, particular right. 18 <laughs> yeah um, yeah so just I've never heard anyone um, disappointed even when I sing its praises to, to an extraordinary extent I think if I don't recommend it to people because I don't think they've not seen it yeah it's like well, you've, you've lived um, Josh yeah I'd be scared of now asking someone if they haven't seen it for fear of uh, the assumptions of what that would mean that I was asking them I, I think four and a half I think it's yeah I think if you're going to watch a, a film in this you know, of this type it's a, an exceptionally strong choice and, and clever so yeah four and a half Helen it's got to be a five. Um, I mean, Fight Club is probably my personal favourite, but this is David Finch's best film. And, you know, it's as brilliant as it was back in 1995. I'm going for 4.75. Um, there are people who will be appalled by this. 
everything's shot so beautifully as well. You just, it's just a kind of a slightly strange pleasure to the eyes to see how well it's filmed with moments of horrificness <laughs> in between. Yeah. So that's a five. Yes, please. Um, I'm going for a four and a half, I think. I, I haven't seen it as many times as you guys. Um, I don't know why, because it's the kind of time when it would have been on DVD and when you had limited yeah, DVDs, I, I you would have watched it, it loads, loads of times. Um, but I just think there's a slight edge of I probably wouldn't watch it so much. But I think it's, you know, it's up there. It's up there. Um, small screen score. This is where I feel it might lose some points for me anyway uh, Josh uh, sorry Boyd um, well obviously I'm not, I can't I'm not going to scrub I, I'm, all I would say I, I think I might have said this before last time I did this podcast my small screen is 78 inches so um, <laughs> it's not it's quite a big small screen sure um, and I, but I have watched it on smaller screens I have actually watched it, I think I watched it on a plane once mm. um it's you know, it's the storytelling and everything so even this is a visual a stunning visual achievement and it has to be demands to be seen on the big screen. It actually does work on TV perfectly well because everything exits such a strong thing. So I'm not going to give it five, but equally I'm only going to mark it down to four point five because it still <laughs> works on the small screen as any absolute classic film does. I'll go with a four. I think just just very slightly lower. I mean, the, the characters are so strong, and, and you sort of stick with them. I think even on a smaller screen, but yet you have that. Particularly, I guess we're thinking of the ending, the you know incredible location, and you would like to watch that on a mm. on a bigger screen. But you know, particularly, I think you know I hadn't seen the film before, and you, you know, but I've watched numerous films with someone like Morgan Freeman. But just you know, the character, this experience, this this idea that you know the young guy can't work it out, the older guy is going into a library and it can be worked out and they can find a solution. The characters are strong enough that it carries, so I'm going for. Helen? Uh, I am also going to go for A4. I mean, I would love to have seen this at the cinema when it came out to be part of that first wave of, what the fuck is this? <laughs> He's still alive. What's in the box? Oh my God. What's in um, the box? What's in the box? Um, <laughs> but um, just the way that it's shot and it's got kind of this really claustrophobic feel as well when they're in the city and the soundtrack's really interesting because we've got this kind of sort of white noise of the city which is constant screaming and cars and the rain and traffic and just this overwhelming noise and then you've also got like the Howard Shaw score as well which kind of gives this real drama and presence so as long as you're watching it on a screen where you've got the right contrast and light and balance so that you know, you really get to Always. see the colours. Um, you're not watching it with your brightness up on your phone or anything like that. And that you can listen to the score properly. I, I still think it it works as that as well. So for... Um, I'm going a bit lower than you guys. I'm going for 3.5. Um, I was watching again, it must have been the first time in maybe a decade watching it. I was, I was blown away by what I was seeing on the screen. And many times I was thinking, fuck, I'd like to see this on a bigger screen um maybe my contrast wasn't right Helen. maybe maybe the contrast wasn't right um but it was just there was just so many times even in the dark setting you're in the house you're in the dark houses but they're still perfectly perfectly lit and perfectly shot and that for me is like the high watermark of like superb cinematography this is pre-digital so they didn't have that kind of contrast ratio thank so god much. yeah because it's shot, shot on, beautifully shot on 35mm film so um Starts off yeah. dark, gets lighter, which is very interesting. Other thing. True, finish up yeah. on a lighter, on a lighter note. Just saying. 
Um, engagement score. Boyd. I'm going to shock you here by giving it five. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the storytelling. The script, again, you know, rare. It is rare to match. The script by Andrew Kevin Walker is an absolute cast iron classic piece of he, film writing. I, I, I'm not familiar with his work, Andrew Kevin Walker. He's done, hasn't a huge amount, it has to be said. So I think um, he did Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, okay. Which was great. Um, I think he's a very specific, you know, I, I credit him. I credit him with not so, doing a huge amount, almost by choice. You know? So we've got he did. So he wrote Fight Club. Um, oh, there you go. No, not not Fight Club. Um, he seven. wrote yeah seven. Um, what's he else involved in? Uh, he did Wolfman on, on eight, Fight Club. It says here well. uncredited script doctor. Oh, there you go. oh, so he's probably one of these people that's yeah. shopped in to to yeah. work on. Eight millimeter. He wrote, yeah, Eight Millimeter, which is another serial killer film. Which I was, fell asleep during that. Joel Schumacher badly directed it, but actually, is a good script. He say. also wrote, wrote Wolf, the Wolfman, the yeah. Benicio del Toro werewolf yeah. classic. Yeah, and I think, and he, and he also worked on Panic Room, another yeah. another great David Fincher film. Uh, that's well. one I haven't seen still. He's either. very, he's really good on Twitter. Andrew Kevin Walker, by the way, okay, just on Twitter. Um, Fincher normally works with, he works quite a lot with um, the other guy, Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. He does. Uh, and also what I like about Fincher is how he's kind of, he's, you're talking about pilot TV and being cinematic mm. television. Um, House of Cards is one, is like... The, yeah. And also... High Watermark um, and... Mine, Mine Hunter. Hunter. Which is oh. which yeah. is basically a TV version of Seven. <laughs> yeah. In many ways, yeah. Well, all based on true, true stories. True stories. Yeah. And Nassif Kapadi as well, directing some of those. He did, which yeah. I, yeah. Which I, who I love. Um, sorry, Engagement score, Josh. Yeah, I mean, you, you stick with it. It is, you know, gripping, and you sort of want to work it out. And and yeah, really, uh, really engaging. But I'll go four and a half. Helen, um, I'm going to go for five on this one. I mean, it's you cannot be gripped in what is going to happen next. And you know, it's it's a two hour film, but it does not feel like two hours. Nothing is wasted. There's no wasted shot. There's no lines that could have been cut. Mm-hmm. It's just so engaging and, you know, the performances are great and you just have to find out what happens in the end. It, it pulls you through. Four and a half for me, I think. Four and a half. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I, I can't give it five. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know. And you can. <laughs> I can do. At least no one's stopping you. I can do, but it's not quite there. It leaves a very heavy average. Still very impressive average. Yeah, 4.57, which is fucking huge. Pretty high. Um, I think that might be in the top three. Yeah. Good. Um, what we what we do in the shadows is 4.7, I think. Wow. 4.6. And what we do, uh, the Humphrey World people is also up there. So I think those... You're, you're a real big thing for... Um, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi, yeah. Big yeah, fans, Jesus. Fans of him, short yeah. films. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Under, under, well, what we do in the shadows is pretty short. Um but yeah, so yeah, okay. 4.5 is pretty strong. I don't think we've had one. We haven't had that, that one, high. anything that big for, for a long time. Uh, Fargo is up there. Yeah. Um, Can't not Fargo. No. Nah. Yeah, pretty mm. top five, isn't it? We're looking yeah. at. Good. Okay. Shall um, we um, see what the uh, the world of Twitter made and spoiled 
for Josh. For Josh. We're sorry, Josh. Yeah, so we reached out to people on Twitter before we uh, go to recording. We say, you know, we're review- in this case, we're reviewing Seven we're with Boyd Hilton, Josh Landy from Arsenal Podcast and Time Pilot TV magazine. Have you seen it? Give us your thoughts for an on-air shout-out on Flixwatcher. And uh, we've had a, a decent response from this, which I expected. Um, so the first one is from... Well, Boyd, can you take take it from the top, please? Uh, top film tip? Yep. Um, yes. Uh, rookie and retiring detectives are entangled in sadistic serial killer's sin-stalking tapestry. Good good little sentence description there. David Fincher's noir deluge. I love this, yeah. Deft, stone-cold classic, absolutely. Better than every serial killer detective movie before or since. Big words, but I think I agree. Yeah. So top film tip, if you like little pithy... Uh, synopses on films then he's yeah. a friend of ours and he oh, okay. you know, yeah well, that's a good but you're right pithy yeah. very pithy yeah uh, Josh you want to take the second one well we should point out his excellent use of emojis yeah, so there he, which yes. also were a bit of a spoiler we're sorry about that, so that <laughs> five heads yes. I was I was wondering at first why I was being oh, uh, it was, no it was great it was great, it was great. That Fresh to Death said five stars a masterpiece by Fincher Pitt Freeman Spacey and Ultra one of the all time best endings plot twists without going into any other spoilers but it, it's up there isn't it for the, for endings it's simply absolutely yeah because yeah. what I love about the ending is it's not a twist mm. it's just an incredibly shocking surprising yeah. thing that you don't see coming that's the genius of it this, it's not like I a mean, cliched twist it's not like you know who the killer is so it's not even a whodunit at that point no. it's a what the fuck is he doing <laughs> the thing the only thing I mean it's very difficult because I had got the ending before oh, I, I watched it's it crazy. which I was which I said about but then I was thinking what, what's the reason for her character if she doesn't later become somehow involved? And that was the only thing because there isn't, there aren't really spare people in this film mm, that no. don't then mm. become involved in some way. So there was just that element and the, the reason for that conversation about when she reveals to Freeman that she's pregnant, yeah. you're thinking this, maybe this, but then it's difficult because I only watched it knowing. But I was thinking maybe you think it comes back in some way. The next tweet that you're about to read is very, in, I'm glad you're reading this because it's a very important point it makes. Helen's reading this. <laughs> Oh, I'm going for this one. Yeah. So this is from Lee at Cinemalist. The use of clothes is very clever. Pitt wears clothing too big for him to make him appear more boyish and less experienced. Also, Peltro is mentioned three times in secondary conversation in the third act to subliminally <laughs> remind us of her readiness for the conclusion. So that's what you're yeah. saying, Josh. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really... so. But the really interesting point is, yeah, that the, they don't... They so cleverly do it so that... You kind of forget about her a bit enough for you not to be thinking all the time. Oh, it's going to be she's going to have her head in a box or anything. But she's they remind you just about enough off screen for you to remember her. And and her scenes are so well done. I can't I keep going about it, but she's so brilliant. Mm. Her scenes are so well scripted. She's so not just an addendum to him. She's a proper you know kind of a three dimensional believable character. In a, the very few scenes she does, it's just such an Brilliant thing. And that was five stars. I mean, yeah, there's so much information you get from her. You get that she's not happy. Yeah. She used to be a teacher. Mm. Um, obviously, there's some and she's kind of not happy because the, the schools that she's applied to are like she horrible. Not and in the city, she doesn't yeah. like a lot of it. Is about the horror, the horrendous kind of you know the, the, the alienation of the city. Yeah. And I was going to put there. There's been one film that's come before this, which is probably I'd say on par, which is um, the original Manhunter, the Michael Mann yeah, yeah, film, yeah. which I think would stand nicely in a double bill I this. don't like that film uh, <laughs> yeah I would say Science of the Lambs <laughs> uh, yeah. I know there are a lot, a lot of hip, I'm not saying you're one a lot of hipsters say 
Manhunter is better than mm. the best portrayal of Hannibal Lecter. I'm, I still think I Science it, of the Lambs is I the found it laughable. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I did. I like Manhunter, but yeah. I, th- I still think Science of the Lambs, Science of the Lambs is, a, is the other, for me, big yeah, genre serial killing film that deserves. Different films, completely different oh, totally. takes on it. Yeah, I, mean, I like them both. I like them both as well, but I do think Science is. Uh, Boy, do you want to say this last one? Um, this is Film Me Up 2 Reviews. Um, perfect plot, captivating characters, and vivacious visuals. Oh, gone alliterative there, haven't they? I might not have picked the word vivacious, but fine. A winning combination. Yes, absolutely. Vivid visuals, it would have been an easier... Yeah, low, vivid, would have, yeah. Lower hanging fruit. Vivacious is... Maybe um, they typed that and it auto-corrected to... Oh, maybe, maybe they typed that. Thought, that. Yeah, I mean, I, then fill film me up two reviews, which seems very nice, but have let themselves down with a 4.5 out of 5 um, mark, which is obviously wrong. <laughs> well, we've seen here it's 4.6 at least yeah but your way of your calculations <laughs> are just too difficult um, oh, I've got some more there was some, well the final one sort of gave it away to me I would say um, if you just scroll down there the one from Neil Wilson <laughs> <laughs> we all know it's a wife's head in the box <laughs> just in case you hadn't worked it out from the emojis of five female heads it's followed all, by five boxes yeah all very well saying it now Neil Wilson but I mean that's not cheers, really Neil Tricks. a review no no, it wasn't. It just it's wanted to say stuff. It just came up on the timeline. <laughs> cool. Guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, you, Kobe. It's been thank a joy. You. And uh, can you sign off by letting people know where they can find you online, Twitter, Instagram, or otherwise? Of course. If you want to listen to Boyd and I's podcast about Arsenal, it's called Footballistically Arsenal. If you type that in on iTunes or SoundCloud, SoundCloud or Acast, you will find us. Um, or you can just go to at Arsenal Podcast on Twitter or Footballistically Arsenal on any any podcast platform really cool thank you very much guys oh sorry Boyd you need to start thanks yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boyd needs a while I you, tell you, you. you yeah um, at Boyd Hilton on Twitter and um, Instagram and lots of pictures of me um, with famous people if you like that kind of thing me name dropping it's like visual name dropping it's my main <laughs> main purpose of my Instagram um, and yes uh, for, for the Arsenal GQ Strike uh, every fortnight general football basic binges at is your, is Pilot your, TV your Twitter account is um, your profile is you and Julia Louis Dreyfus isn't it it is yeah currently I change it around sometimes yeah she's yeah yeah she's, she's my all time legend yeah, yeah Veep from, is fantastic yeah and Seinfeld obviously <laughs> yeah and I'm at Boyd Hilton did I say that which yeah. is my name literally my name <laughs> <laughs> alright guys thanks for coming thanks up. very much thanks for letting me drone on about seven no worries <laughs> bye bye Cheers, guys. You were just listening to the latest episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Thank you to Brendan Russell for his sublime editing skills. Mighty people for the tunes you can hear right now. Please do come to iTunes and find us, like, subscribe, share with your friends. Find us on Twitter at Flix Watcher Pod and our website, flixwatcher.tv. 